0: Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg one to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM, Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
1: Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, a special edition of Bloomberg Surveillance. We're on for, what, 14 hours today, Mike? Is its it... Is it it's just like endless, right?
0: Except for the uh, hours we're flying to Washington to speak with Alan Greenspan and Madeline Albright tomorrow. We
1: will do that tomorrow. Right now, we need to speak to someone who's on the short list to be the next Secretary of State. Why don't you bring her in?
0: <laughs> Got to get her back to the United States. Yes. <laughs> Megan Green is the Chief Economist at Manulife. She's been over in England uh, and uh, made a brief detour to Scotland while she was there to check out the situation during the uh, whole debate. And that's where I want to begin, Megan. This morning, stories that uh, Nicholas Sturgeon is looking at parliamentary ways, not just a, a, a new referendum to withdraw from the United Kingdom, but parliamentary ways to block this. Uh, the Scots did vote overwhelmingly to remain in the EU. Uh, what kind of threat do the Scots pose to the execution of withdrawal from the European Union?
2: So the Scots could easily um, blackball any kind of withdrawal from the European Union and ironically a number of people, a number of prominent people who voted for the UK to exit the EU are now um, putting all of their hopes in Scotland to go ahead and blackball anything that isn't um, a withdrawal from the European Union that involves staying in the single market. So a lot of people who chose to leave are now saying we really hope that we still leave but that we leave by the least amount. So we. Maintain our, you know, financial services passport to the EU. We maintain free movement of labor as well. Um, I think it's going to be really hard for um, a number of senior politicians who were leading the Leave campaign, so Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, to go ahead and withdraw all of their promises um, leading up to the referendum now, and go ahead and follow this Norway model that involves the UK staying in the um, EEA, but that's what a lot of people are now hoping for.
0: What is the feeling in Scotland and uh, the other countries that are part of the United Kingdom towards this whole process? Uh, this seems to have gotten its uh, the biggest strength uh, in the uh, vote from the former industrial areas in the middle of the United Kingdom.
2: Yeah, that's right. So we saw an incredibly high participation rate in this referendum um, and that meant to some degree that not only were the youth getting out and voting and that they tend to be pro-EU, so that was positive for the remainers, but it also meant that the disaffected kind of working class who don't usually vote at all and are generally anti-EU came out and voted. So I do think that we're seeing a massive class divide. Um, we're seeing huge divisions within both the Conservatives and the Labour Party. So the UK is, you know, more divided than I've ever seen it.
1: Will that migrate to other nations and confederations of age, confederations of income levels, the lethargy of Europe? Will the UK model migrate to other nations?
2: I think that it's very unlikely that it won't, actually. So I think this is just the beginning of a much larger movement. And it's driven by... Um, You know, such a sluggish economic recovery, the fact that nobody's really getting wage increases, and this is a phenomenon that we're seeing across the Western world, actually, not even just in Europe. Um, But it means that this message that's anti-immigrant, anti-globalization, anti-elites, anti-bankers, it really resonates with a lot of people from particular classes. Um, In particular, and so I do think that we're going to see these divisions um, across Europe. We'll probably see it, you know, today in Spain, for example, in their elections. But there is hardly a European country that doesn't have a populist party promoting these messages that isn't doing pretty well these days.
0: How how does it spread? Can it spread politically? I'm wondering because David Cameron didn't have to call this referendum. And you can imagine that the people in power aren't going to be anxious to give uh, the voice of the people a real voice.
2: Yeah, it's true. David Cameron largely called this referendum um, to try to unite his own party, which he's obviously totally failed to do. So this was a massive own goal by David Cameron. Um, My Greek friends are all joking that, you know, the U.K. politicians have outdone the Greek ones in terms of <laughs> referenda and what they have to do afterwards. But um, I do think that, you know, eventually politicians will have to listen to their people. Um, if don't go ahead with the um, popular view on referenda, um, then they'll get voted out of government eventually, and a party that will be willing to have a referendum could be voted in. So a recent Ipsos poll came out and said that more than French and Italians would like to have an EU referendum in their countries. Maybe the current leadership won't go ahead and do
0: that, but, you know, eventually the people will have their say at the ballot box in general elections, and that could lead to a referendum. Megan Green with Life, We'll come back. We want to talk to you some more about the elections that are underway in uh, Europe. Yeah. in Spanish, Spanish voting today. Uh, we'll get right. an update on mm-hmm. that and uh, the economic effects.
1: So data check here, equities, bonds, currencies, commodities. There's no data check. It's Sunday, but tonight... Australia will open in Hong Kong and Tokyo. Look to Bloomberg Radio Asia for the market openings. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, uh, a special edition of Bloomberg Surveillance this Sunday. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. A lot of discussion of politics and international uh, relations. This, as a backdrop of dynamics in the United Kingdom, with major news today of selective resignations from Labor Party leadership. They are in the minority in the parliamentary system of the United Kingdom. David Cameron is a conservative, a Tory. He has suggested a resignation. Honor about what, Mike? October is that the latest?
0: The Conservative Party holds its next conference yeah. in October.
1: And then away from that, let's get quickly back here to Megan. But first, though, Ben Sills is in Madrid, and all eyes in Europe are on Spain today. Uh, ben Sills with Bloomberg News. Ben, give us the the hour tick here of tonight in Spain. Do you know results this evening?
3: Yeah, we'll, we'll get the full, the final results, um, before we go to bed tonight. The polls close at eight and the Spanish have an extremely efficient vote counting system. So we'll get exit polls at eight when, when the polls close. We'll have the first, uh, the first real numbers coming through by about nine or so. And by half past ten local time, we're going to start to have a pretty clear idea of how this is playing out and, and we'll have you know pretty definitive results by around midnight.
1: Are, are, are you, is there going to be a Brexit drama? I mean, sell us here on what to look for across the headlines of the Bloomberg late tonight. Well, we
3: uh, the analysts we spoke to suggested that the Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy may be the beneficiary of the Brexit vote. Um, investors have, have seen a flight the quality uh, on Friday, and there's eye an, there's a sense that maybe Spanish voters. Might uh, also look for safe haven assets, and that would be like the safe hands of Rajoy. There was a poll out late last night, which suggested support for for Rajoy's People's Party was creeping up slightly. Um, they got 123 seats um, uh, in December, so anything above 123, mm-hmm. and that's going to really strengthen Rajoy's position.
1: Uh, ben Sills, thank you so much from Madrid this morning. He is uh, with Bloomberg News. A quick snapshot there of what we will see in Spain. Mike, why don't you pick it up?
0: Yes, yeah, so let's uh, get some Megan analysis here. now of the, uh, of the potential outcome and where the rest of Europe goes now with Megan Green. She is Managing Director, Chief Economist at Manulife Asset Management. She's been working out of London for the past week or so. Uh, there are three main uh, candidates or three main uh, parties um, who are trying to end up in control somehow of the spanish government set up for us megan if you could what um for the rest of the world would be the best solution what what are the implications of this vote
2: well i think it's going to be really difficult for any of these top three parties to actually partner up in government and none of them will have a majority themselves so Um, You could have a grand coalition, which we've seen in a lot of other countries in Europe, um, between the center-right and center-left. But the center-left and the center-right don't get on at all, so that's unlikely. Um, You could have a coalition of left-wing parties, but actually um, the socialists, the center-left, would never want to partner with this new up-and-comer Podemos. Um, They would fall off an electoral cliff if they did. So I think the most likely option is probably a minority government run by the biggest party, which is the center-right party. Um, unfortunately that won't be very stable because every time they have to pass something they're going to have to negotiate the tacit support from another party in Parliament. So. Um, I think it's the most likely. Um, I don't know if it's the best for the rest of the world, but it is, you know, the the best of a bad bunch, I think. There isn't any kind of arrangement that would be particularly stable. And, of course, you know, political instability results in economic uncertainty, so that's bad for the markets and, therefore, for the rest of the world.
0: How much influence would instability in Spain have on the rest of the Eurozone?
2: So, on its own, political instability in Spain wouldn't be a huge deal. We've already had political instability in Spain since the last election in december, so we're we've gotten quite used to Spain not really having a government but um but in the in the wake of brexit, um actually, this could be just another catalyst to spark instability in europe um and probably adding to that would be you know worries about Italian banks. Um, and so, therefore, the periphery in Europe might come back into the, into focus for both the media, but also for investors who are worried about the sustainability of not just the financial services sectors, but the governments as well.
1: Megan, I've been boring people with a dissertation on balance sheet flows at the macro level. Let's take, Megan, up to 70,000 feet, way above the Boeing uh, and the Airbus airplanes, and look at the current account deficit. One part goods, one part services, I think we all sort of get that. Explain investment income dynamics and what they mean for a disunited United Kingdom.
2: So the United Kingdom has a massive current account deficit. um, And that means that essentially um, they're borrowing from abroad to operate everything, so for all their goods and services. Um, If investors lose all their confidence in the UK, then they'll stop, they'll stop lending. So you could get a hard stop, um, which would be a disaster for the UK economy. Uh, it would shrink pretty significantly. Um, so, you know, if you also then have, um, not just the UK leaving the EU, but also falling apart itself. So if you have Scotland leaving Northern Ireland, perhaps also having a hard border reintroduced Gibraltar, having a hard border reintroduced, that, that will just feed all this uncertainty and, and make investors less willing to actually go ahead
0: and lend the U.K. money. What's the likelihood that uh, we do see a full stop at this point? Uh, London is such an important financial center. Capital account, obviously, the mirror image of the current account. Uh, people, You could argue that the main product that London makes and sells now or that uh, the U.K. makes and sells now is debt. Yep. Uh, is that going to fall off a cliff?
2: Yeah, so that's a huge concern. I mean, I think we've seen a day of of full stops for the U.K. You know, no traders wanted to be involved in trading um, involving the U.K. on Friday. It was hard to get anywhere in London because all the traders had left the office and gone for drinks and were spilling into the streets, so cars couldn't get through. Um, The question is whether that will be sustained or not, and I think that the U.K.'s... um, Public and private indebtedness is definitely a concern. Will there be a full stop? Probably not because the UK is still a center for, you know, financial services for now. At least, um, that seems to underpin their growth model. But but we certainly will have. You know, foreign countries are much less willing right. to lend the U.K. money, so their but economy will contract, absolutely, it, no matter
1: what. If there are two compensating factors, inflation dynamics and currency dynamics, which is Megan Green most focused on is they enjoy a greater combined trade deficit.
2: Um, so I think that the currency dynamic is probably the more important one, but they're defeating one another. So when the pound collapses, it's gonna, we're, we're going to see inflation spike. And the Bank of England will have a really hard time figuring what, what to do with this, because on the one hand, they'll want to stabilize inflation, but on the other hand, the economy is going to slow, so they'll want to stoke growth as well. And given that dilemma, I think that the Bank of England will probably choose to stoke growth. We've seen it do that before when it's faced um, high inflation and low growth. Right. I think that's
1: what we can expect. And, and, Mike, that's the clearest explanation of this I've heard, thanks to all of our other wonderful guests. But, Mike, when you hear Megan Green talk about that, you get back to the other unknown which is the
0: credit rating. And
1: there have been Bloomberg
0: headlines on that. uh, There have. Moody's and Standard & Poor's have suggested that they could downgrade the I don't want to make a big deal about it, but this
1: is a beautiful explanation, of Megan, of these these
0: interdependencies. I can remember being up all night in in August of 2011 when Standard & Poor's downgraded the United States, and it ultimately meant (laughs) nothing. Uh, How vulnerable is the UK to uh, credit ratings?
2: So the, in the U.S., it meant nothing ultimately, in part because the U.S. benefits from having the global reserve currency and the biggest, most liquid treasury market in the world. Um, the U.K. doesn't enjoy either of those things. So actually, a series of credit rating um, downgrades would not just spark investor um, you know, worries, but um, would also mean that the U.K. would get kicked out of some automatic Um, indices and so I think that would have a huge impact particularly in an environment where the um, cohesion of the UK is in question as is the cohesion of the EU.
0: Now the question is uh, when, uh, and you were just talking about this with Tom, uh, the the knock-on effects of the currency repricing, uh, how does the the Bank of England manage that in that they probably want the currency as weak as you know to the to the weakest point they can get it without hurting the economy?
2: Well, that's the trick, is that if you have a weak currency, it means that your exports are more competitive. So you can export more, but it also means your imports are more competitive, um, and that will hurt. Um, you know, people in the U.K., that will reduce um, standards of living here. Um, and so that's a hard balance to really strike. I mean, if you look at what the U.K. is exporting, it's largely financial services at the moment. It's n- it's not goods or manufacturing goods. Um, and so... I think that given how concerned everyone is over um, exactly what will happen to the city of London now that the UK is going to leave the EU, um, you know I think that that will you know that will provide provide a huge headwind for the city, um, and that means that you know a weaker currency. We'll be
1: offset by that. Um, Megan, thank you so much. Generous of you the last few days to join us with Manulife and John Hancock, Megan Green, their chief economist from uh, London. Mike, that was a beautiful walkthrough of something that people enjoy migrating from a B-plus to a C-minus on their macro exam.
0: And we managed to get through it without doing any math.
1: You brilliantly flipped from (laughs) current account to capital account yeah. that's like making the rotation in second base on a double play <laughs>
0: yeah the pivot well nobody did a takeout slide thank goodness no, we took a
1: takeout slide on our fractured uh, <laughs> no, economics it could always
0: break our legs <laughs> we got that <laughs> wrong
1: michael mckee and tom keene we are in new york tomorrow we will come to you from our studios in washington with alan greenspan and madeline
2: albright stay with us bloomberg surveillance